Great to see everybody again tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're moving right along through this book, just a few more chapters after this. Uh, but it's been a great study so far. But we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 9. You know, one of the hardest things um, for people to do, and, and maybe this is just me, um, but I feel like this is a problem for many people. One of the hardest things for us to do is to admit when we're wrong. Who likes admitting when they're wrong? Yeah, maybe there are some. Uh, but, but that's not typically something that we enjoy doing. You know, when you think about enjoyable activities, admitting you're wrong is probably not in that list. In a similar vein here, um, confessing our sins, which is also an admission of wrongdoing. Uh, we don't really like to, to do that, right? We don't like to admit those things and, and to, to show the things that we struggle with. And, and, you know, I think there's several reasons why that might happen, why we don't want to admit that we're wrong or confess our sins. And just to consider a few reasons why. Number one, I, I think um, pride is involved in it. That we don't want people to know that we have problems. You know, we have to have it all together, right? You know, when I come to church or when I'm around, you know, my other believers, I've got to have it all together. And I, I can't let people know that I struggle, right? I, it's, it's got to be, I've got to have it all together, right? I think that may be a problem is, is pride. We, we don't want people to know that we struggle. Thing is, everybody struggles. We, we know that deep down that everybody has problems, everybody sins. But yet we, we still have that maybe problem. Well, we don't, we don't want people to know that we struggle, um, I also think one of the big reasons why we may not confess or admit our wrongs is because we don't want people to look at us differently. You know, if I confess my sins, then people may judge me for those things that I've done wrong. People may look at me differently from here on out. And I have to say, shame on us if we do that. If somebody genuinely is confessing their sins and we judge them or ridicule them, that's, that's not the proper response to somebody who's confessing their sins. But I think that's a fear for a lot of people is if I confess, if I tell what, I, what I've been doing, well, people won't look at me the same. And so I think that may be another reason why. Uh, we talked about this in our, uh, our Bible class in the young adult group several months ago. And, and Haley brought up something really uh, profound that I had never really thought of. But we were talking about this very thing. Why don't people confess sins? And she said something along the lines of, well, some people may not actually want to overcome. And what she meant by that was some people like what they're doing and, and continuing in sin. They, they think it's fun or pleasurable. And they know that if they confess, well, that maybe you know, people might start helping them. And, and they don't really want to stop that behavior. Maybe that is part of it, that we just enjoy sin and we don't really want to confess because may, we may not see it as a big issue or we want to just continue in it. Uh, and I think that might be a problem for some. I also think the guilt is a part of it. That we already feel, some already feel guilt over the things that we've done wrong. And confessing it, we may think, will bring more guilt upon us and bring more shame to us. And we don't want to feel those deep feelings of guilt. And I think also... It may just be uncomfortable. We may, we may think it's awkward or different to do that. And, and so we may, not, we may not confess our sins. And I, I'm not just talking about to one another. Absolutely, that's part of it. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm talking about confessing to God as well. Maybe we just, 
there's, there's maybe some hindrances to why we don't confess. And maybe you think of some other reasons of why we may not admit our wrongs or confess our sins. But here's the thing. In Scripture, there is no denying that confession of sin is a part of a Christian's life. You, you can't go through the Bible and, and honestly read it and come away with, well, I don't have to confess my sins. I don't ever have to talk about my, my struggles. That, that's just, there's no way skating around this. This is a part of our lives as Christians is confession. We see it all throughout the Bible. Consider just a few examples real quick. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. I mean, it, it really can't get any clearer than that. If you conceal your transgressions, hide them inside, you will not prosper. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to benefit you to keep your sins um, pent inside. However, if you do confess, and in the added phrase there, and forsake those things, the sins, you're going to find compassion. God will extend that compassion and forgiveness to you, uh, but we can't just deny that we don't have sin, that, that we have sin and uh, we can't conceal those sins. Confession is, is a part of, uh, of our lives. Of, of course, to God, I think we understand that a lot, uh, that we need to be confessing our sins to God. But what about this passage, James 5, 16? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, there's a lot going on in the context here and a lot of debate about um, what exactly is going on with somebody who's sick or hurting. Um, and and we, I'd love to dive in this passage. Maybe we can go through James one day. But you can't get around the fact that it says, confess your sins to one another. In this passage in particular, James is really focused on the power of prayer and how prayer can be effective and how we need to be utilizing prayer. And, and I think one of his big admonitions here is that we need to be confessing our sins to one another so that we can go to the Lord on one another's behalf. Like, how can I know what to, to pray for if, I don't, if you don't tell me, if I don't tell you? Uh, we, of course, I guess we could leave it a general prayer, but being more specific about it. Um, I think that's, that's one of the ideas here is confessing our sins so that we can help one another overcome those sins. Prayer is powerful, and when we go to God and pray, he's answer. He's going to answer. And it may not be in the manner in which we want him to answer, but he will answer nonetheless. And so we, we need to be confessing our sins to one another. And this goes back to what I talked about last Sunday, about a family. When somebody's struggling, our job is to come alongside that person and help them through it. And, and to, to help them through those struggles, the sins in their life. Um, consider one more uh, passage here, and this is really... Uh, a confession to God really in the, within this context. But here's what 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says. Uh, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this passage, particularly uh, 1 John 1 uh, and ver verse 7, where it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's the, a verse that we, a lot of us probably know. 
But you have to continue reading. It also says that confession is a part of, of this, of being forgiven by God, is confessing our sins to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So, yes, walking in the light is absolutely part of it, living how God would want us to live. But also when we slip up, it's confessing those sins. We can't deny that we have sin. We can't say that we have no sins. Because if we do, we're, we're just deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. We have to recognize our sins and acknowledge them uh, to God and I believe also to one another. And now why we're talking about this tonight is because in Nehemiah chapter 9, we see a confession of sin from the entire community that came back to Jerusalem. Remember, they're rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem and they come together and they confess their sins in chapter 9. We're going to read... Uh, the first few verses here in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind everybody, it's been a couple weeks because last week we didn't have service uh, because of the, the chorus reunion. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, a religious revival is going on. The, the people read the law and they start restoring God's uh, law in real time. Uh, and, and in particular, what happens is they have a day of reading with all the people and, and, and the Levites go out and they're teaching people what's been read. And then at the end, in the, uh, in the second half of the chapter, there's another day of reading between the leaders of Israel. The, the priests and the Levites get together and they read and they find out that they're supposed to be observing a feast. It's the Feast of Booths. And they're supposed to be building booths, temporary shelters to reside in. And they, they figure that out by reading the law and they say, you know what, we've got to reinstitute this practice. And so they restore that practice in real time there amongst the rebuilders there in, in Jerusalem. So a, re, a revival is taking place in Jerusalem amongst God's people because they've started reading the law and they've started implementing it. And it's within this context that we see this revival is continuing because they confess their sins to God. So look at Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in the first few verses uh, I think they'll be up here on the screen as well. Um, but Nehemiah chapter 9, here's what it says. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped their, the Lord their God. Now on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. I want us to take note very quickly here of the repentant hearts, the contrite hearts of these uh, Israelites here, God's people. The rebuilders here in Jerusalem. Look, look what happens here. Number one, they're fasting. Okay? And, and I think we all understand fasting is this uh, a period of a time where we deprive our, they deprive themselves of food in order to focus on God. And in, and in this context, they're, they're spending that time fasting. Instead of eating, they're, they're spending it confessing and worshiping God. And so they come with, with fasting for the purpose of confessing their sins uh, to God. Secondly, they dressed in sackcloth and put dirt on their heads. 
Now, this is not something that we normally see today, uh, but, but this is a uh, dressing in sackcloth and ashes or dirt upon your head was a common biblical way of, of, of expressing sorrow and grief. Uh, a couple of examples of that is in the book of Esther. Remember, Haman had this horrible plot to kill all of the Jews. When Mordecai figures that out, he uh, tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. That was just his, their way of expressing their grief was maybe tearing their clothes, putting on this coarse material, sackcloth and ashes upon their heads. Also in 2 Samuel chapter 3, Joab murdered a man named Abner. And David commanded all the people in Israel to tear their clothes, put on sackcloth and lament. And so this is something that the people do. They dressed in sackcloth, this coarse material, and they put dirt upon their heads. And it's showing their contrition, their grief, their sorrow because of their sins. Also, they separated themselves from foreigners. This is verse 2. Now, this may be, it's kind of interesting. Why, why are they separating themselves from foreigners? What's the importance here? Well, if you actually go back through uh, the, the Old Testament, and in particular, I'll point out a couple passages. Exodus chapter 34, Deuteronomy chapter 7. God commanded his people to not make covenants with people of the land and to not give their daughters in marriage to their sons and vice versa. They were not to intermarry with the peoples of the land because they were a chosen race, uh, uh, the, the people of God, a holy people. And so the reason why God told them that, if you go back in those passages, is if you intermarry with them, if you make covenants with them, guess what's going to happen? You're going to give in to idols. You are going to start worshiping their gods. And so that's a part of what they do here is they separate themselves from these foreigners because they realize that we are the people of God. We are God's chosen people. Let's come together as his people and confess our sins. So that's, they separate themselves from foreigners here. Next, they confess their sins and the sins of their fathers. Not only were they uh, willing to confess what they had done wrong, but they went so far as to say, we realize our fathers messed up as well. We realize that our ancestors made huge mistakes. They turned against you, God. They did things wrong. And so they're confessing not only their sins, but the sins of their ancestors, their, their fathers. And, and that's, uh, that's what we see here in, in the text is they're, they're serious about this. They're disappointed about everyone who has committed sin in the line of Israel, including their own sin. Now, here's something really interesting they do. They read the law for a fourth of the day. This is about three hours that they read the law. Now, sometimes if you just listen to somebody reading it, it you know, you may get tired, you may get weary. But these people were, they're reading the law for three hours. About three hours. They're just listening to God's word. They're serious about it. They're serious about putting it into effect in their lives. And then for another fourth of the day, they worshiped and confessed. They worshiped God and confessed their sins for another fourth of the day. Three hours, about three hours, they're worshiping God and they're confessing their sins. Again, they're serious about this. There is absolutely no doubt that these people were truly sorry for disobeying God. I mean, just look at all these things that they did. 
their hearts were truly in the right place and they wanted to make it right. And I want to make some application here. The proper response to sin is not just, oh, it's okay. If I slip up here and there, it, no big deal. I, you know, it, it's, it's okay. It, it's not a big deal. You know, people are sinful in the world. That's just how it is, you know. The proper response to sin is mourning, is, is contrition, is being sad and being distraught about us breaking God's heart. Unfortunately, I think we've uh, kind of sometimes just bat an eye at sin. We don't take it seriously enough. And I'm not necessarily saying anybody here in this room, but uh, just across the board, I don't know if we really take sin seriously enough, breaking God's heart, breaking God's covenant. And these people, they took it seriously. They realized that they had done something wrong, and they came and they confessed. They, they, were, they had very penitent hearts and wanted to make it right. What about us when we sin? How do we feel? Does it break our hearts? Does it break our hearts when we see people doing terrible things in our country? Or is it just, well, it's just part of it, you know? We should be saddened when we hurt God. And we should confess those things to him. Now, I do want to also point out something. A lot of times we think that confession of sin is just a personal matter. That, and absolutely it is. We need to be confessing our sins personally. But what are they doing here? This is a corporate confession of sin. The people are coming together as, as basically as one body and they're confessing their sins to God. I wonder what that would look like if we here at Creekwood or the church in Mobile in general, if we all just came together and we confessed our sins. What are some things that we could confess? Well, I'll just throw out just a couple of things. What about neglecting to reach souls for Christ? Do we do that enough? Are we serious about the Great Commission? It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. God said, go make disciples. Do we do that? And guess what? They, part of their confession was that they had not been doing God's, God's word. They had not been following his law. And I think maybe that could be part of our confession is we need to get to soul winning more and more and more. That's, that's, our, that's our mission is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And, and, and maybe, maybe uh, there's some other things. I think distractions. Folks, we are a busy people. We have so much going on in our lives from, from sports to school to, to jobs to family. And some of these things are great things. But we get so busy that we push God out at times. And I think we could, we could probably all come together and say, you know what? God, we spent too much time focusing on other things. We want to dedicate our lives to you. We want to come as one people and say, we are committed to following you. We are sorry for not doing that. We're sorry for putting things in front of you. And we want to do your will, Father. And I do appreciate when people come up here and say prayers. And there are times I, I can remember, I can recall people when they come up here and say prayers. And they say, Father, we're sorry for our sins. And they'll, they may mention specific things. And I think that is, is kind of part of a, a corporate confession there when somebody prays on behalf of the, the congregation. But 
it's just interesting to me that this, this group of people, they come together and they're serious about making things right and they confess their sins together. And so confession of sin is definitely a personal thing, but it can also be a thing that we do in a group, that we do with others, confessing our sins. And maybe you think of a lot of other things, that there are things that we could be confessing. The point is, we need to take sin seriously and we need to get rid of it. And part of the, the, one of the first things in getting rid of sin is confession. It's so very important. After the first four verses, uh, we won't read all of this uh, because there's a very lengthy discourse of the Levites. You read in verse four there that these Levites stand with one voice and they cry out to God. And they go for a while in this lengthy discourse. And in, I'll just kind of sum it up for you here. Basically what they do is um, they praise God and his mighty deeds. They lift up God, um, and in verse 5 they say, oh may, oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. And they praise God. And then they go through and they start retelling some of God's, uh, God's work on behalf of his people. From choosing Abraham to be the father of their nation to leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in the wilderness. They recount his mighty deeds that he had did, done for Israel. But they also recall that while God was faithful and he was good to Israel, what did Israel do? They rebelled over and over and over again. Over and over, while God was good to them, they weren't good back. They rebelled against him. They sinned against him. But even in Israel's stubborn rebellion over and over again, God didn't make an end of them. God didn't destroy them completely. Look what Nehemiah 9.31 says. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Even through all of Israel's failings, he was compassionate and long-suffering and didn't destroy them. He had the right to because they rebelled against him over and over, but he didn't. And he was compassionate with their failures and so the Levites close their discourse with these verses. And I do want to read these and talk about these very quickly. They, they turn it to the Israelites of their day. And instead of recounting what God had, had done, they start talking about themselves. And here's what they say in Nehemiah chapter 9, looking at verses 32 through 37. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness... Do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness, which you have gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. 
they, they turn the, the end of this discourse to themselves, and there's so much to unpack here, but because of time, we will only, uh, I just want to really point out one thing here. They're under distress because they're still being ruled by the king of Assyria. And they're, they're the world power of that day, and, and they're taxed, and the produce, some of it belongs to them, and, and they're under distress. And they don't say, God, it's your fault that we're under distress. It's your fault that we're here. What do they say? They say, it's our fault. It's because of our sins that we're in this position, that we're under distress, that we're facing these problems right now. We're under the kings of Assyria because we didn't follow your law. We didn't follow you close enough. Here's the thing. They didn't pass the buck. They didn't say, you know what? We can blame somebody else or we can blame God for this. They took it upon themselves and said, you know what? It's our fault. And it's time for us, too, to realize when we fail, when we sin, it, we, can't, we can't pass the buck. We have to take initiative and realize when we make a mistake, it's not God's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's our fault. Sin, when we make a mistake, we have to realize the problems that I'm having now because of my, are because of my decisions. Not because of what God did or because of what somebody else did. It's my sin. And that's what these people realize, that it's, it's us, God. It's us, it's our fault that we're in this situation. And so we have to realize that our sins, if they lead to further problems, we can't pass the buck. And I think that that is also kind of part of confession here. They realize it's, it's, it's on us, God. It's on us. Last thing I want to point out, and then we'll be through. Why confess? Why, why confess our sins? Well, aside from the fact that we looked at Bible passages that say to do it, um, and, and examples of the people in Nehemiah doing it, look at what happens in Psalm 32, a psalm of David that clearly shows the importance of confession. Look what it says. How blessed is, the, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice this. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you in my iniquity. I did not hide it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see what happens to David? When he's quiet about his sin... When he keeps it pent up, it's like he's being drained. It's like, he, it's like heat is heavy upon him, draining his very vitality, his very life. It's heavy upon him. He's carrying this burden. But what happens when he confessed it? Well, God forgave him. And that weight is lifted. When we keep sins pent up and we try to deal with them on our own and, and we don't try to seek help, it's going to be really hard to overcome. It's going to be like this weight upon our shoulders. It's going to drain us. It's going to consume us. And so we need to confess our sins, number one, to God and to one another so that we can help one another. Last thing I'll say, I think one of the problems with confessing our sins to one another, I think, again, we kind of understand that we need to confess our sins to God. I think one of the issues with confessing our sins to one another is that we've limited it to the invitation. We offer an invitation after every lesson that we give here. 
Because we want somebody who needs help, who wants to confess their sins, they feel compelled to, we want them to come forward. And we want to pray with them and for them. But it's not just limited to the invitation. If you need to confess your sins, if you need to talk to somebody, that can happen at any time. And might I say it doesn't have to be in front of the whole congregation. I do think there may be some sins that do need to be publicly confessed. But if you can find a group that you trust, people that you can rely on and and confide in, man, that is a great asset. That's what the family of God is for. And so we do offer an invitation, and we're going to in just a second. And if you feel compelled to come forward and confess, we want to help you, absolutely. But if you want to do that in, in private or with a group of friends, please do so. It doesn't just have to be right now. But we do want to offer that invitation. If you've got sin in your life that you want to confess, please come forward and confess that. And we want to help you and pray with you and for you. If you've never become a child of God and entered that family, well, we, we want to wrap our arms around you and we want to baptize you into Christ. You can be added to his family. Don't let sin continue in your life. Confess it to God, confess it to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and get the help you need to overcome your sins. It's one of the first steps in overcoming. If you keep it to yourself, it's going to be very hard to overcome. Confess your sins, and and God will have compassion. He will help you, and we will help you. If you have any need tonight, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.